morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 uh, through 7 this morning in the 830 service. Yes, we will have a different sermon at the 11 o'clock service. And as Mike said, you are welcome to come to both. I know he said that there weren't any uh, brownie points extra for coming to both, uh, but I beg to differ, so uh, you can come to both and I'll be taking note of who came to both. Now, our sermon series is called After Darkness, Light. After Darkness, Light. This Advent season, we're focusing on how the Word of God teaches us that this is the pattern that the Lord has established since creation for His coming. When the Lord comes, when the Lord comes into this world, when He communicates His glory, when He comes into our lives, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again at the end of the world, this is the pattern. After darkness, light. Last week, or I guess two weeks ago, my notes are a week off here. Just pretend we're a week uh, back. Two weeks ago, we talked about the creation of light. How at first there was darkness, but by the Lord's power, He spoke light into the darkness that His creation might experience His glory and His presence. And this morning, we come to Isaiah chapter 9. And we will see here the promise of light. For in the midst of the darkness of sin and rebellion, the Lord has promised that after darkness, there will be light. So hear now the word of the Lord. But there will be no gloom For her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. 
This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let us pray. Creator God, you remind us that the darkness of ignorance and doubt cannot overcome your life-giving word. May your Holy Spirit, who first inspired these words of Scripture, shine your light and once again awaken us to the hearing and living of this radiant truth. We pray it in Christ's holy name. Amen. Christmas Day, 1863, poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow heard the joyful peals of church bells ringing throughout the countryside. Peace on earth, goodwill to men, was the message that these bells proclaimed. And yet, in 1863, there was no peace for Longfellow, nor for our nation at war with itself. At age 57, Longfellow was a widower, having lost his wife three years earlier to fire. He had six children that he was responsible for, and the eldest was fighting for his life after receiving a bullet wound in his shoulder at the Battle of Mine Run, which took place just north of Charlottesville. America was three years into the bloodiest war of our history in which 620,000 men would die. And at the sound of these bells, there was a great dissidence in Longfellow's soul, an incongruity between the present war and the proclaimed peace on earth. On one hand, you had the bells declaring a message of peace, and yet the rumble of cannon fire seemed to be speaking a louder message of war and of hate and of chaos on earth. Now, it's not just those who live through wars that feel this tension between the present struggle and the promised peace of Christmas who have heard the message of the light of Christ, but feel that they personally remain in darkness. For we live in a world that is filled with struggle and hardship. Family conflicts don't take a break for the holidays. Cancer doesn't care if it's Christmas. Your struggle with sin and addiction isn't going on vacation this month. Crime Car accidents, injustice, debt, disease, anger, and sin remain even during the holidays. So how will we know peace this Christmas when the world that we live in remains in conflict? How will we know and experience light when we feel such darkness? In our passage for this morning, we come to a people who are about to experience war and conflict. For Israel is at the crossroads between two empires. You have Egypt in the west, you have Assyria to the east. And the tiny strip of land that we call Israel was the bridge that these two powers sought to control. Isaiah is speaking to a people who are about to experience invasion from the more powerful Assyrian Empire. And they will be taken into captivity and they will be exiled from their land. They will come into deep darkness. Yet, 
in the midst of the darkness of the coming conflict, the prophet Isaiah speaks a word of hope. A promise that though they are about to endure great darkness, a light will shine in the midst of the darkness. And though they presently are at war, this war will give way to peace. So, how can Israel know peace in this time? How can men like Longfellow, who have endured such hardships, know peace in this world? How can we, who continue to struggle in this world of darkness, experience light this Advent season? Well, the answer that the Word of God gives to us this day is that to have peace in the midst of war, we must have faith in the promise of light. Now, the first step in understanding how we can have faith in the promise of light in the midst of darkness, peace in the midst of conflict, is to understand what the conflict is truly about. It's easy to believe that the darkness we feel in this world is the result of some sort of outer darkness. That we will know peace when the outer darkness is taken care of. When all the outward problems are solved. And so we believe that the peace that we desire will happen when we get the kids to sleep, when we get all the chores done. Then we can sit down on the couch and peacefully look at the Christmas decorations. We think that peace is when all the presents are wrapped, all the credit card bills are paid. Peace is when all the parties are over, all the obligations have been fulfilled. Peace is when my health and my family are all in order. And each of these ideas of peace have an element of truth. Peace is when there is an absence of conflict, when wars are over. That's part of peace. But there is more to peace than just making outward conflicts end. You see, from a biblical perspective, peace is not just the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of God's blessing. Peace is the picture of what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. Peace is what Israel had when they enjoyed the blessings of the promised land. And peace is what we are going to experience in the new heavens and the new earth when the Lord not only wipes away all tears, but also makes us blessed in the full enjoyment of His presence. You see, peace is when the curse of sin is absent and the blessing of God is present. And therefore, sin is why we do not experience the blessing of God. Our text for this morning begins, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people of God are under the curse of exile because of their sin. This verse begins with the word, but it's a contrast. Because it is a turning point in the story of the people of God. 
The verses that come before show that the people of God are about to experience an extraordinary struggle. If you look up one verse into chapter 8, you'll see the context. Verse 22 of chapter 8 says, if you look there, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Israel is about to experience an unprecedented period of turmoil and upheaval. They're going to be taken from their land and from the presence of God. And the reason for this curse is their sin. For they have turned from the Lord. They've turned from the blessing which He has promised His people. They began worshiping other gods. They began turning to human wisdom for their answer to their problems of security. They felt the pressure of these two larger nations pressing down on them. Instead of turning to the Lord and His promised blessing and peace, they turned to the implements of war and to the strength of men. And the result of their sin is the curse of darkness. The Lord had promised the people of Israel that if they followed His commands, He would bless them with peace and light. But He also warned them that disobedience would bring darkness. I'm sure that you have had a very similar conversation with your child as this. If you touch that oven you're going to get burned. Well, what happens? Well, the little three-year-old hand inevitably finds its way up onto the stove and gets burned. And as a parent, you think, why? Why are you surprised that you got burned? I told you, if you obey what I say, you won't get hurt. But if you disobey, you're going to get burned. It's a very simple concept. But this has been the story of the human race since the beginning. Our first mother and father were told, if you eat of that tree, you will be cursed. But if you refrain, you will be blessed. But they did not restrain. And they were sent out of the peace of God's presence. Even as the Israelites were about to be sent out of the peace of God's promised land. They were sent from the light of God's blessing into the darkness of sin's curse. Just as each one of us have sinned and experienced the darkness of the curse. You see, we begin to see a pattern. The presence of sin means the absence of peace. The reason that Israel was going into exile was because of sin. The reason our first parents were cast from paradise was because of sin. The reason that the three-year-old gets burned on his finger is because of sin. And the reason that we do not experience peace now in this world is because of sin. The darkness that God's Word speaks of is the result of our sin. And yet we attempt to come up with all sorts of other reasons and other possibilities for why we do not have peace in this world. But the bottom line is that we do not experience peace now because we have failed to obey God. Now, it's important that we make a few distinctions when we say that we do not experience now because we have sinned. For not all of your troubles in your life are the result of your personal sin. 
Right? Jesus never sinned, and yet He was a man of sorrows. And you may be going through immense upheaval and pain in your life, and it may have very little to do with anything that you have personally done. But that does not negate the fact That the root of every hurt, every conflict, every darkness in this world is sin. And if you would know the light of Christ in the midst of darkness, then sin has to be dealt with. Peace in the midst of war, then you will have to come to the place where you see that the sin in your life is what is causing darkness. We lie. And we wonder why no one trusts us. We don't regularly give to the church and we wonder why we worry so much about money. We're continually talking bad about people and we wonder, why don't I have any friends? We covet our neighbor's home. We covet our neighbor's wife. We covet our neighbor's children. And then we wonder, why am I not satisfied with my own home and wife and children? If you would know the light of God this Advent season, you must begin by recognizing that sin is the cause of darkness in each and every one of our lives. But this is not the end of the story. God isn't willing just to say, told you so. I told you not to touch the stove and now you're hurt. I told you not to disobey Israel and now you are in darkness. And neither is He willing to abandon you in the darkness of your own sin. But rather He promises to deliver His people and to reverse the curse caused by their sin. Look down at verse 2. There we read, the people who walked in darkness, right? That's us. That's Israel. That's us. Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. The people walking in darkness are those who have been blinded by the curse of sin. For the current context, it's referring to those who felt the heaviest blow from the exile. The land of Zebulon and Naphtali were the northernmost provinces of Israel. And therefore, when Assyria came and invaded, they invaded in them first. But God is promising that He is going to shine a light into the darkness of their situation. He is promising that He is going to reverse the effects of this curse. Verse 3 speaks of how the Lord is going to restore joy and prosperity to a people who are mourning and in poverty. And then in verses 4 and 5, He speaks of the freedom from oppression and war. That this yoke of their burden, the staff that is on the shoulder, will be taken away. That all the implements of war, the boot of the trampling warrior, and the garment that is rolled in blood, they will be burned and there will be no more war when the Lord acts. You see, the people of God have been subject to oppression because of their sin. But the Lord promises that there will be deliverance from this war. Israel has been at war almost constantly. But the Lord promises that there will be an end. God is going to take all the problems that we have caused. And He will end them. 
And this is a sure promise. It's interesting to see how Isaiah speaks about this future reality of peace. He does not talk about it in the future as though he is predicting that this will happen. Throughout this prophecy, Isaiah is speaking as as though these events have already happened. He says, those walking in darkness have a great light. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. You have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The Israelites are about to enter a period of turmoil and heartache that we can only imagine, but they can have peace in the midst of this exile. Why? Because there is a sure promise of God to deliver them from the darkness that their sin has caused. They can have peace in a world of chaos because they know God's promise of light will come to pass. And the same promise is given to those who are in Christ Jesus this day. It is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of heaven. The reality of the present world is that it is broken by sin. But the promise of the Gospel is that God is working and has accomplished salvation through Christ to reverse all that has been made wrong by sin. The promise that we are called to have faith in is that God is working to bring peace on earth. Therefore, every Christian can have peace now because of the promise of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you know there is sure peace coming. But how do we know this peace is coming? How do we know for sure? How can we have faith? The answer to our question is given in the next two verses of our text, starting in verse 6. For it says to us, for to us, this is the promise. This is how we know for sure. For to us, a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. How is God going to bring peace on earth? In what form will the light shine in the darkness? Through the birth of a child. He's not going to bring peace about according to the plans of men. He is not going to do it through a theocratic empire that will dominate all other countries. He is going to do it through humility and the weakness of a child. A son of David will be born. And he will be a wonderful counselor, it says. The word wonderful is usually reserved as an attribute for God. And so we understand that the wisdom that this child will have will be divine wisdom. He is called Mighty God. This King will not just be a child, but He will be God Himself and work with the power of God. He will be an everlasting Father. It's not uncommon for kings in this time to be referred to as a father to His people in how He cares for them. And the fatherhood of this coming King, this child, will extend into all eternity. And He will be the Prince of Peace. This divine child King will establish peace by removing the curse 
of sin. How is the Lord going to reverse the curse of sin? How is He going to shine into the darkness? He will do it through the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ, who was born as a humble child, of whom the angels declared at His birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Sin is the darkness. So how is the Lord going to pierce the darkness? How is He going to bring peace to a world overrun with the curse of sin? Through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Son of God. The Son of Man. The One who is both fully God and fully man in one person. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, we read in Colossians 1. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Now here's the key. Making peace. How? How is He going to make peace? How does the Lord Jesus Christ bring peace in war, light and darkness? Making peace by the blood of His cross. That is how the darkness of sin is pierced in the person of Jesus Christ by the blood of His cross. That is how we can have faith. That is how we know for sure that though we live in darkness, light is coming. Though we live in chaos and war, peace has been established because Jesus has poured out His blood on the cross. And if you would have peace this Advent season, you must place your faith. You must fully rest upon the blood of Jesus Christ as the seal of the promise of peace to come. Peace means the presence of God's blessing. And while we live in a world filled with turmoil, we can possess the peace of God because it has been given to us and sealed by the blood of Christ. By His blood shed on the cross, we can know that the war of sin has ended. And though for a time we must walk through hardship, pain, and darkness, those who place their hope in Christ will have light and peace in the midst of darkness. When Longfellow heard the bells on Christmas morning, 1863, he was asking this question. How can we have the peace of Christmas when our whole world seems to be at war? And it was these events that inspired him to write the very famous poem, Christmas Bells. Listen now to the struggle that he has and how he finds resolution. He says, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent. 
and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. In all of our lives, we might say that there are mouths of cannons shouting war and chaos and hate and darkness. But the bells of Christmas are proclaiming even in the midst of darkness, there is a promise of a light that will shine. There is hope for though all the earth pass away, God's promise will never pass away. And though there is darkness now, the promise of Christ in His blood is that wars will stop and striving will cease. The wrong will fail and the right will prevail. And the promise is that in the midst of darkness, there is the light of Christ. If you would know peace this Advent, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of darkness, Look to the light of the Gospel of Christ and place your full faith on His blood alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, how precious is Your steadfast love For we, the children of mankind, take refuge in the shadow of Your wings. For we seek to feast on the abundance of Your house that You would give us a drink from the river of Your delights. For we know that with You is the fountain of life. And in Your light do we see light. And so we pray, O God, that You would give to us peace in the midst of the struggle and the chaos and the war of this life. And that we would know that the blood of Christ has wiped away the curse of our sin. And one day, our King will come and light will shine in an eternal day. It's in His holy name that we do pray. Amen.